Father God, it has been good to be together with one another and with you today already. And God, as we come now to your word, Lord, we ask that you would speak. Lord, I pray that we would hear from your spirit today. God, that you would open our ears to what you have to say to us. Lord, that you would use my mouth today to speak your word. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. One of my favorite movies when I was a child was called The Never-Ending Story. Does anyone remember that movie? All right, we've got some fans. All right. So I was, uh, I was probably watched that about a half a dozen times in that movie. A young boy named Bastion Bucks acquires a magical book from a strange old bookseller. There's a boy named Bastion Bucks, and he acquires a magical book. And whenever he reads it, he finds himself not just reading the book, reading the words on the page, but whenever he opens the book, he becomes a part of the story. Whenever Bastion opens the book, he magically becomes a part of a different world becomes a part of a world that existed long before he opened the book. There is a history that's already happened. But when he opens the book, his desires and his actions become a part of the plot of that story. And his actions, both the good that he does as well as his mistakes, have a real impact on how the story ends. On Easter Sunday this past year, we looked at the story of the walk to Emmaus from Luke chapter 24. In the walk to Emmaus, in this story, story, two of Jesus' followers are walking along the road on the day of the resurrection, and they're trying to make sense of all that had happened that weekend. They had watched as Jesus was crucified on the cross, and then three days later, some women have said that they saw Jesus and that the tomb was empty. They had no idea what any of these things meant, and they had no idea what they were going to do with their lives here on out. They had committed their entire lives to Jesus, and now what do we do? We've seen him die, and now there's these strange reports of him being raised from the dead. They have no idea what, their li- what is in store for them in their life. And as they're walking along the road, a stranger comes and walks alongside them. Luke tells us that this stranger is Jesus himself, but these two disciples are kept from recognizing him. And as they walk along the road, this stranger, Jesus, begins to make sense of their lives and of their experience. Luke tells us that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Later in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus appears to all of his disciples, the twelve, and Luke tells us that once again, Jesus explains everything that had happened that weekend in light of the story of Israel. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled as it was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his names to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
the coming of Jesus into the world, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus was not a brand new thing that God was doing in the world. The coming of Jesus was the climax of a story that God had been telling from the beginning of time. And after his resurrection, Jesus is very clear to let his disciples know that they have now become a part of this story. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. You are witnesses to these things. In other words, my disciples, my death and my resurrection has always been a part of God's plan to redeem the world. And now that you have seen it and witnessed it, I am sending you to every nation to tell the world about that plan. And it's very clear in the book of Acts that the disciples understood this and took this very seriously. In the book of Acts, we have two examples of early Christian preaching, one in Acts chapter 7 with the stoning of Stephen, and the other in Acts chapter 13 from Paul. In both of these sermons, these early Christians take great care as they communicate the gospel of Jesus to begin with Moses and all the prophets and to tell the whole story about how this one Jesus the Messiah makes sense within this story of God's relationship to Israel and to the world. The early church did not believe that they were starting a new thing. They understood themselves to be a part of God's ancient story. They believed that their faith and belief in Jesus Christ, that because of that, they were the true and faithful Israel, the true people of God who were being faithful to God's plans. They weren't starting a new mission. They were participating in God's ancient mission, a mission that God began in Genesis at creation and in the choosing of Israel as a nation, a mission that found its climax in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, and that continues today to be lived out in the life of the church. And God's ancient mission is this, that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. This is God's plan for all things, that all of creation... And all human beings from every tribe and tongue and nation would know God, would walk with God, and would worship him. That the whole earth would be filled with his glory. This is God's mission. And so over the next year or so, off and on, we are going to be taking our own walk to Emmaus journey. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, we're going to explore what all of the scriptures say concerning Jesus and this mission that God has. We're beginning this week a series on the Bible and God's mission, and over this series, we're going to take a chronological look from the Bible, from the story of Genesis through Revelation, from creation to new creation. Like the disciples after the resurrection, like the early apostles who went into the all the world to declare the gospel, we need to know this story. We need to understand God's work in the world and understand how our lives and our church fit into this story. And so there are three main purposes for our sermon today. If you want to jot these down, uh, they're not in your notes there, but I would encourage you to jot these down. There are three main purposes for this whole sermon series. Uh, first is very simply 
to help all of us to gain a better understanding of the narrative of the biblical story. Uh, If you grew up in church, or if you've just recently come, uh, you often hear all of these different stories. Stories about Joseph, and David, and Abraham, and Moses, and Elijah, and Paul. But how do all these stories fit together? Uh, Who was first, Isaac or Joseph? Where does Noah and the ark come to play in this whole thing? Where does Daniel fit in with the story of Abraham? Where do the different stories fit? Wheaton College is an evangelical college up near Chicago, and for those of you who are not familiar with Wheaton, Wheaton is considered one of the best, if not the best, evangelical college in the country. Wheaton's a very good school. It attracts some of the brightest young Christian students in the country. And every year, Wheaton College surveys its incoming freshmen about their biblical literacy, their biblical understanding. And in the last 20 years, they have noticed that there is a crisis in the church about how well these students actually know the scriptures. The students at Wheaton take this basic survey of biblical knowledge, and here's just some of the samples of the questions in 2010. Put the following events in chronological order. The Old Testament prophets, Abraham, Pentecost, and the death of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophets, Abraham, Pentecost, and the death of Jesus Christ. One-third of the Wheaton College students could not do that. Another question, put the following in chronological order. Moses in Egypt, Isaac's birth, King Saul's death, and Judah's exile. Half of the incoming students could not put those in biblical chronological order. One-third of the students could not could not say that Paul's travels were found in the book of Acts. Half of the students did not know that the Passover story was in the book of Exodus. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, I wouldn't have done very well on that quiz either. (laughs) The truth is, you're probably not alone. Many of us would likely have a difficult time with it, which is one of the reasons for this sermon series to help us gain an understanding of the overarching story of the scriptures so that as you read it in your own devotional life, that you will have a better idea of where things fit. So when you're reading the daily bread, and at the top of the daily bread devotional, there's five verses from the book of Jeremiah, that you'll have an understanding of where Jeremiah fits in this whole story and, and who he was speaking to and what Jeremiah was all about. So the first purpose of this series is very simply to help us know the biblical story better. The second goal of this series is to better understand what God is doing in the world throughout history and what God is doing in the world right now. God is present and active in our world right now. Nothing that happens is outside of his ultimate control. And part of our role as believers is to be able to see him and and to discern his work in the world, certainly in global events that we see in the news, but also in our everyday lives. Becoming familiar with the story of the Bible is one of the ways that we become familiar with how God works with his people. And as we, we become familiar with how God interacted with his people throughout history, we become more acquainted with how God interacts with us today. 
And the third purpose of this series is for us to understand what God's purpose is and to understand our own calling to join with God in his purposes in the world. N.T. Wright is a a biblical scholar, uh, one that I appreciate very much, and he gives, I think, a great illustration for us to help us understand how we are to come to read the Bible and to understand our part in this story. He says, suppose for a moment that there were some Shakespearean scholars, and as they were going through a playhouse in England, they discovered a play by Shakespeare, and they uncovered it, and they found Acts 1, 2, and 3, and they found Act 5, but Act 4 was missing. How would these Shakespearean scholars then put on this play? What would they do? What they would do is they would, as they know Shakespeare really well, they would study and they would would think about Act 1, 2, and 3. And they would think about what the characters were like. And as they know the character of Shakespeare and what he tended to do, and as they also knew the end of this play, Act 5, then they could kind of rewrite Act 4. They would be able to live out Act 4 in some way, in a way that was consistent with Act 1 through 3 and Act 5. N.T. Wright suggests that this is very similar to our role as Christians today. Through the scriptures, it has been revealed to us the first few acts of this story that God is telling us. And we also get a glimpse of what's going to happen at the end. And so right now, we are called to be faithful to this same story. To come to know those first few acts of this play really, really well. And to come to know what's going to happen later so that now we can live faithfully to this story. A couple weeks ago, I posed this question. What if your role to play in God's plans and purposes are as important to him as the role of Noah and Jeremiah and Paul? I might not be able to fully convince you that that is true. I believe that it is. But at the very least, I hope that this series will help you to understand that you do have a part to play in this story. That God has called you to live in this time and in this place, in your given circumstances and sphere of influence. And he has called you to do a good work here and now. So this morning, I want to give you a bit of an overview of the biblical story. That is the, the big picture of, uh, of the, the main parts of, of Scripture. The images you're going to see on the screen are the same ones that are on your bulletin today. Uh, the first, we know that before time began, before we knew anything that happened here on earth, that there was the eternal life of God. The scriptures tell us that God has existed through all eternity as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And at some point in God's eternal past, if you can put a point in eternity, that's a whole other metaphysical question we won't get in today, but at some point in God's eternal past, he chose to create the world out of, his, out of the overflow of the love that he has for himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. In other words, God did not have to create us. He chose to create us. And Genesis 1 and 2 speak about God's creation of the world. One of the things that my wife and I have done over the years to help teach our children is to introduce them to a catechism, which is a series of questions and answers about the faith. 
And the first three questions of this catechism that we've used are this. The first question is, Gloria, who made you? And the answer, God. The second question is, and what else did God make? And she says, all things. And then the third question is, why did God make all things? For his pleasure. What she would say is, for his own Gloria. That's her name, Gloria. (laughs) For his own Gloria. It was kind of... uh, kind of was not getting the point across that we wanted to make. So we had to remind her that he created for his own glory, for his own glory. In Genesis 1 and 2, we read the story of creation. God, without any other compulsion other than his divine love, creates the world. And with the power of his word, he speaks creation into existence for his own glory. And for the next four weeks, we're going to settle in slowly and take a look at Genesis 1 and 2 and some of the other scripture passages that speak about God's creative work. Because these chapters tell us a lot about ourselves and a lot about the world, about what it means to be stewards over God's creation, about the meaning of marriage and the gift of being male and female about the calling to do good work in the world, and about the calling to rest and to take pleasure in God and in his creation. The early chapters of Genesis tell us much about the world and about who we are as human beings, and so we're going to take a slow look at this first part of God's story, the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. We see in these chapters that God made creation and that he said that it was good. And it was good before humanity ever got there. God said that it was good. In other words, creation is not good simply because you and I walk outside on a beautiful day and recognize, wow, this is a good creation. It was good before humanity ever got here. It is good because of God's divine approval of it. And God has a purpose for it. And that purpose is that he would be glorified in it. We read in the biblical story that creation is given to us for our benefit as humans, but that is not the only reason that it is good. God said his creation was good. And we see that his creation was good because all of his creation is meant to glorify him. Human beings are not the only thing in the world that give glory to God. All creation proclaims his name. But human beings, we see in this story, are unique in God's creation. The creation story in Genesis 1 and 2 says that humanity was created in God's image. And in a couple weeks, we'll explore the richness of that. The second part of this story is the fall of humanity. In Genesis 3, the first human beings, Adam and Eve, reject God's purposes for them. They do not give glory to God, but instead seek after their own interests and purposes, and sin and evil enter into the world. And we'll take a month during the month of July to look at the fall of humanity and the stories of Genesis 3 through 11, the stories of Adam and Eve, the story of Cain and Abel, the story of Noah, and the story of the Tower of Babel. 
God's mission is that he would receive glory from all of his creation, but human beings have consistently rejected that plan. And in Genesis 3 through 11, we have these early stories, Cain and Abel, and the story of of the world in Noah's time, and the story of the Tower of Babel, and of course, at the beginning, Adam and Eve. And we see these stories of humanity's rebellion over and over again, but that God chooses to preserve his creation and his people. What's interesting to know as you think about this timeline of the biblical story is that the time between Genesis 3 through Genesis 11, more time elapses between then than from Abraham to today. Okay, so that just kind of gives you a picture of, of how long of a time span this is between Genesis 3 and Genesis 11. More time between those nine chapters and from Abraham until today. In these stories, though, again, we see that God will not give up on his purposes for humanity, even though they continue to rebel against him. Uh, In the month of May, last month, we talked about this theme of breakthrough endurance, how we are called to never give up on the mission that God has called us to do. And part of the reason that we are to never give up is because we serve a God who never gives up. In spite of humanity's rebellion, God never gives up on his purposes for humanity and for creation. And throughout the Bible, over and over again, God says yes to everything that he has made. And he gives a consistent no to the sin and the evil that has tainted the good creation that he has made. He always preserves what he has made and destroys the sin that has infected it. That's what we see in all of the stories of the fall. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Noah and Babel. Always good news. Always good news that God will not give up on us. After the fall, we have a salvation history. We have Israel and Jesus the Messiah in the church. And the majority of the Bible is dedicated to salvation history, to the plan that God has to overcome humanity's rebellion against him. First, by calling a people called Israel, who would be a people who would know God and who would worship him rightly in the world and who would be a light to the nations. And then, in his salvation history, he decided to become the main character in this story. By becoming flesh and dwelling among us, by becoming a part of his creation and dying for us so that forgiveness and reconciliation with him would be possible. And then, by sending those who know this message, who have received this message by faith, by sending them into the world to be witnesses to this salvation that God has given to us. Once again, in these stories, we read about a God who does not give up on his plans and purposes. We read about a God who hates sin, who hates evil, and will do everything to overcome it, so that the whole earth will be filled with his glory. And in the biblical story, we also get a glimpse of God's final plans and purposes for the world. And I want to read a few verses from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In these verses, we get a glimpse of God's final purpose. He is going to dwell with his people. He will be near to us, so near to us that he will wipe the tears away from our eyes. God will make everything new. He will continue to say yes to what he has made. He will renew all of it. He will give the final no to sin and injustice and evil and take all of it away so that the whole earth will be filled with his glory. We have this hope because God does not give up. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to become the atoning sacrifice for our sins. When Jesus went to the cross, he took upon himself the worst effects of the fall of humanity, the sin, the evil, the disease, the broken relationships, the curse, and of course, death itself. He took those things upon himself. He died and rose from the dead. And with this resurrection, he is called the first fruit of God's new creation. A new creation that will be without sin, without the effects of the fall. A new creation that will be full of goodness and truth and beauty. A new creation where we will live with good and perfect resurrected bodies and will live in a perfect relationship with God and with one another. It will be a world without death. It will be a world where creation and specifically humanity, will fulfill our purpose of filling the whole earth with the glory of God. I think one of the most beautiful parts of this story is that each of us have a part to play in it. Our small lives, our seemingly insignificant existence is important to God. And so we are called to listen and to pay attention to this story, to know it well so that we can join in on what God is doing. So we are providing a few resources for you over these next few months. Uh, First of all, tonight, our brother Steve is leading a a Bible study on how to read the Bible. It's not a coincidence that we're starting that Bible study today as we start this new series on the Bible and God's mission. So this is a few weeks for you to take advantage of if you're able and if you want to, to come and to to learn a bit more about how to study the Bible. Secondly, um, at the back at the Welcome Center on this side uh, are copies of a 180-day Bible reading plan. This will not take you through the whole Bible. You will not read the whole Bible in those 180 days. Instead, it will take you through the overarching narrative of the Scriptures. And so it will uh, have different times where you'll understand, you know, what prophets were speaking to the kings at this certain time. And uh, so you'll get a, a picture of the whole narrative of the Scriptures. So for the next 180 days. 
that Bible reading plan is there at the back if that would be beneficial to you. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for for your very good work. God, we thank you that in spite of humanity's rebellion, and not just humanity's rebellion in general, but our rebellion specifically, that you have not given up on us. That through Jesus Christ, we can find forgiveness and reconciliation to you. So that we can fulfill this calling of giving you glory in every place that we go. So that we can be a part of filling the whole earth with your glory. God, thank you for this invitation to us. Amen.